Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. Today we're going to get into the Word of Ephesians chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 5, a couple verses to get us started this morning. If you haven't been with us, we've been talking about re-engaging, re-engaging in the battle. Week 1 talked about recognizing the fact that we are in a battle. We can't be ignorant to the battle any longer. There is a battle going on. It is, it is very real. It is not of this, of this earth, of this world. It is a supernatural battle in supernatural places. And, and for too long, we've been apathetic or unaware of it, but it's time for us as the church to get re-engaged in that battle. We talked about recognizing the battle. Last week, Pastor Dobie talked to us about recognizing our enemy, which is, which is very important. He did a great job. He did a great job encouraging us and inspiring us. And, and it's hard to listen to a message from Pastor Dobie and not want to just like run out there and, and tackle something, right? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something because he just, he gets me going and I feel so good after he preaches. Like, I'm just, I'm just jacked up and I'm ready to do something for Jesus. Yeah. Does anybody feel that way after Pastor Dobie preaches? That's like... That's how I feel. And it's like, okay, like, let's do that. It's great. Yes, recognize the enemy. He, he told us that the enemy is real. The devil is real. He's not just some, some figure of evil. He is the very embodiment of evil. He is real. He is powerful. But how many of you are thankful he's not all powerful? And he's defeated. He's already lost. We are the victors. We are victorious. God has, has given us victory. We don't fight for victory, but from victory because the enemy is defeated. And one day when Jesus comes back, he will be defeated for all of eternity. And, uh, and we look forward to, to that day. But until then, there is a battle that we must engage in. Today, I want us to, to kind of slow down because last week, Pastor Dobie inspired us to go out there and, and like, let's do it. Like, okay, let's do that. But, but I want to equip you today. Because I want you to, to leave not just recognizing that, yes, I have an enemy, but if you don't know how your enemy is going to come against you, what good is that? Like, what good does it do if you don't, if, if, if you're unaware of the tactics and the methods of the enemy? I remember playing sports and I, uh, playing sports in, in high school, in, whether it was football or baseball or basketball, whatever it was, going into every game, there was always a scouting report of what the other team was going to do. And this is their best player, and this is who they want to get the ball to. And, and in baseball, this is, this is his best pitch. And so when you get two strikes on you, watch out for this. And this hitter, you need to pitch him this way. And, and in football, when they line up this, watch out for this run and, and these past designs. And, and always we were thinking about, yes, there are things that we want to do, but we also must be aware of what our opponent wants to do as well. And so it's not enough to recognize our enemy. We also must understand his his methods, Sun Tzu, the author of The Art of War, and I don't always, I don't always quote him if this is your first time, um, but I thought this quote fits along very well with what we're talking about today. He said this, he said, if, if, if you go into a battle and you know yourself and you know your enemy, you don't need to be worried about the outcome of that battle. He said, if you go into a battle and you know yourself, but you don't know the enemy, there are going to be some battles you win and some battles that you lose. He said, if you go into a battle and you know neither yourself or your enemy, you will lose every single time. 
And I think that's the problem with the church today is that we don't know ourselves and we don't know our enemy. We don't know who we are in God and we don't know the enemy and the tactics of the enemy that we're facing. We are, we are so, so concerned and, and protective of, of our identity in this life, like our bank accounts and our social security numbers, and you have to change your passwords so often because somebody might get your information. And, and we're so, we, we, we pay services to protect our identity. But then when it comes to our identity in Christ, we allow the enemy free reign. We don't know who we are anymore. I remember when Jace was getting his driver's license, I took him to the, the testing center and you know, filling out the paperwork, and I had his social security card and a copy of his birth certificate. Silly me. And so I said, you know, fill out the paperwork. We get up to the front of the line. They're like, we can't take a copy. We need an original copy with the, the seal on it and everything. You need to go downtown. So we go from 168th and Dodge all the way downtown. We stand in line downtown. We get an official birth certificate. We get back out west. We get back in line. When we get to the front of the line, I realize I don't have his social security card anymore. And I don't, I don't know where it is. And so I'm looking in my truck and I'm ripping my truck apart. Can't find it anywhere. Did somebody turn it in here? Did I, did I leave it here the last time I was here? Nobody turned it in. And Jace, who's 15 years old, he doesn't know what's going on. He's like, thanks, Dad. Now somebody's going to steal my identity. <laughs> like, well, like, <laughs> that's part of it. But that's not, like, <laughs> that's not the way that this works. Just because somebody knows your number doesn't mean that your identity is stolen. And you don't even have an identity at this point. Like, you don't have a bank account. So what are they going to steal from you? We're so worried about our identity in this life, but we're not as concerned with protecting our identity in Christ. I think we need to get back to understanding who we are and who our enemy is. And so today I want to, to give you five tactics, five methods of the enemy, five things that the enemy will use in your life. By no means is this an exhaustive list. If we were to try and make an exhaustive list, we would be here for the next week and a half trying to think of all the ways. But what I found in my life and, and in the lives of people close to me is that typically it can fit into one of these five different categories. I tried to make it super easy for you to remember. They all start with D. And so today, if you're taking notes, you can just write Ds all the way down and we'll fill them in as we go. If you're not taking notes, I don't even know what you're doing here, but we're going to get into it. Ephesians chapter six. No, for real, take notes. Take notes because you're going to remember it. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna meditate on it. And then when you need to go back to it, you'll have it. It'll be there. And we made it really easy for you in the app because all of the verses are there. You just need to fill in the blank. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writes. He says, final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies, the strategies, the methods of the devil. What are those strategies? He says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in heavenly places. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8, he says, stay alert. Somebody say, stay alert. stay alert. Other translations say, be vigilant. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. There's the, there's the enemy again. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, my hope today, my prayer today is that I would give you some insight into the strategies of the devil so that you'll be able to stand firm. So that you won't be the one who is devoured by the enemy. He's looking for somebody. He's always on the prowl. And if you're not careful, he really wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything about your life. Lord, today I pray 
that you would, you would equip me, that these would not be my words, but your words going forth. God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us here in person and those watching online ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. God, that we would stand firm, recognizing the battle, recognizing our enemy, recognizing the strategies and the tactics that the enemy would seek to use to keep us from where you have called us and created us to be, to keep us from growing closer to you, from robbing us of our identity and our purpose in you. God, I, I come against that in every attack of the enemy. I pray the discernment of the Holy Spirit upon us that we would be able to recognize it for what it is and stand firm in the battle you have called us to. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Today, as we look at it, five things, five tactics, five methods, five strategies of the devil. The number one, the first one is this doubt. The very first thing that he will try to, to use to keep you from where God wants you to be is doubt. It's the very first strategy we see in scripture. We see it recorded in the very first question that we see in scripture. God has created Adam and Eve. He's placed them in the garden. It's paradise. They have, they have fruit trees to eat. They have plants to eat. They're walking around naked and loving it. It's amazing. It's heaven on earth. But, but the serpent comes, right? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals that the Lord made. And one day he comes to the woman, he comes to Eve, and he asks her a question. He says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really, did God really say you couldn't eat any of the fruit? And that's not what God said, but recognize what the, the enemy is doing here. He's not coming with a lie. He's not, he's not coming with some, some crazy plan. He's simply coming with a question, did God really say? Did God really say that? Did God really say you would be healed? Did God really say you could find freedom from that addiction? Did God really say he would never leave you nor forsake you because you look pretty alone to me right now? Did God really say that you could live life more abundantly because nothing about your life looks abundant to me right now? He comes and asks questions to plant seeds of doubt because if he can get us to doubt and get us to, to, to take a moment to separate from God, then he can squeeze himself into that separation to bring division between us and him. He asks questions to create doubt. Now, I don't want you to get to get discouraged. I don't want you to get down on yourself if you find yourself in times of doubt or, or if there's doubts that creep into your mind because we're humans. It happens. We're all, going to, we're all going to be there if we're not there right now. The question is, how do you respond to doubt? Because doubt can either give you an excuse to walk further away from God or it can give you an opportunity to grow closer to God depending on how you deal with doubt. See, when we have questions of doubt, if we try and answer those questions in our own understanding, nine times out of 10, it will lead us the wrong direction. But in those times of doubt, if we instead take it to God and take it to the source, it will, it will I guarantee you, lead us closer to his heart and to closer relationship with him. What does Eve do? No, he said we could eat from any tree except for that one in the middle of the garden, because if we eat from that tree, then we're going to die. The enemy's response again, you will not die. Surely you're not going to die. God just wants to keep you from that tree because he knows if you eat that tree, then you'll be like him, knowing, knowing good and evil. 
Verse 6, the very next verse, the Bible says that the woman was convinced. And it didn't take a whole lot of convincing at that point. When she, when she saw that the tree was good and the fruit was beautiful and it looked good and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, she partook of the fruit. It took two verses for her to be convinced. It took one question and one redirect for her to say, you know what? You're right, serpent. You're right, Mr. Devil. You know what? Let me just take that fruit. One question created the doubt in her mind. When you are facing doubt, when you have moments of doubt, when there are questions of doubt that seek to creep into your mind, my encouragement to you, in order to combat the doubt, you have to go to God's word. Amen. You have to go straight to the source. God, what do you say about this? God, what does your word have to say about this. I don't want to make decisions based on my understanding, based on, on what I want, based on my interpretation, but Holy Spirit, would you lead me into all truth? That's the only way to, to combat doubt in our lives. The second thing that he will use is deception. He will seek to deceive you. What does it mean to deceive? Here's the definition of deception. Deception is concealment or distortion of the truth for the purpose of misleading. And if that doesn't define what the enemy seeks to do in the life of a believer, I don't know what does. Amen. Concealment and distortion of the truth for the purpose of misleading. He wants to mislead you. He wants to lead you away from God. How does he do that? He distorts and he, he, he conceals. He takes the truth and changes it just a little bit. How I mean, you know the best lie you can tell has just that little sliver of truth to it? It's not some outlandish story, but it, it's, it's true, it's true, it's true. And then we take a right turn and you don't know what's true. And so you just believe it because it sounds like it's plausible. It sounds like that could, could have actually happened. That's what the enemy does. He will take the truth of God's word and twist it with the intent of deceiving you. It's what he did. It's what he's been doing from the very beginning. Look at what the word has to say about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. There's no truth in him. He can't help but deceive. Everything that comes from him is a lie. So if the enemy comes to you and tells you that you are not going to be victorious over that thing, you need to just go ahead and start rejoicing because if that's a lie, then that means that you will. Amen. Come, on. Come on, somebody. Yeah. If the enemy tells you you're not going to be healed, you need to start praising God because that means that you will be healed. Yeah. Whether it's in this life or an eternal healing on that side, it doesn't matter. I will be healed. Whatever the enemy is telling you, listen, you need, he can't do anything but play opposite day. Like, I'm going to beat you. Oh, that means that I'm going to beat you. That, everything that he says is the exact opposite of what is true because that's his nature. That's his character. That's what he does. But look at what he did to Jesus. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, has been baptized. He's about to begin his earthly ministry. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for, for, to fast for 40 days. And look who shows up during that time. During that time, the devil came. And he says to Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, what was tactic number one? Doubt. Doubt. How did he do that? By asking a question. It worked in the garden for Eve. And he thinks, well, maybe it'll work again in the wilderness. If you truly are the son of God to create doubt in Jesus, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 
like how Jesus responds. Rather than his own understanding, Jesus says, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Eve responded to doubt with her own understanding. Jesus responded to opportunities for doubt with the scriptures. If you're facing doubt, go to God's word. But look, it doesn't end there because look what the devil does next. Devil asks a question, Jesus responds with scriptures. So the devil takes him to the highest point in the city. And he says, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, who's speaking now? The devil is still speaking. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt a foot, hurt, hurt your foot on a stone. You're not even going to get a scratch. Look at the progression here. Satan asks a question to bring doubt. Jesus says, no, because the scriptures say. The enemy's like, oh, you want to use scripture. Okay, let me take scripture out of context, distort it for the purpose of, of misleading you, and throw scripture back at you. Doesn't the scripture also say? Jesus says, no. Scripture also says, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. So when, re, when presented with doubt, Jesus responds with scripture. When presented with deception, Jesus responds with the character of God. Amen. See, it's not enough just to know your scripture. First of all, you need to know your scripture. Why? Because the devil knows the scripture. Amen. I would venture to say the devil knows the word of God better than 99% of Christians today. Why do I need to study God's word? Why do I need to spend time in God's word? So that when those doubts come, you can go to God's word and know the truth. But even more than that, it's not enough to know the words written in here. You need to know the God of this word. So that when the enemy comes to distort God's word and his intention and the context with which he said it, you can say no, because that's, that's contrary to the character of my God. My God wouldn't say that. My God wouldn't do that. That's not who my God is. You're taking the scripture and you're using it for your benefit. There's so many people and so many times and so many ways that the enemy wants to, to take God's word and distort it. He tried to do it with Jesus and he's doing it in your life today. He takes scripture and he distorts it. He conceals it. He uses it to mislead you. Well, go ahead. You can go ahead and do that. Just ask for forgiveness later because the Bible says that if you just confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So go ahead and sleep with him. It's okay. I know you're not married and I know it's wrong, but, but just go for it, do it. And then after you can ask for forgiveness, do you see what I'm talking about? Using scripture presented to you in a way to get you to do something against God's character and against his will for your life, but doing it in a way that you're like, yeah, the scripture does say that. The boys are going to the bar. The Bible says, does the Bible not say that all things are permissible? You're right. Scripture does say that. Time and time again, if we're not careful and we don't know God's character, he will seek to use God's word to deceive us from God's intent. Third thing, discouragement. We all watched the game last night, so I don't think we have to cover this one, right? <laughs> Do we have to talk about discouragement or can we just move on? <laughs> Dis <laughs> discouragement. Discouragement is a big one. Discouragement is the absence of courage. It's the feeling of wanting to just throw in the towel the feeling of wanting to give up. It's the feeling that, that Elijah felt 
In 1 Kings 19 and 1 Kings 18, one page before, one chapter before, he's standing on Mount Carmel facing off against the prophets of Baal, calling down fire from heaven, and God is answering him in that moment. He stands up and he says, if Baal be God, let Baal answer. If, if God is God, let him answer. Goes toe to toe, head to head, comes out victorious, leaves from there and Jezebel sends him a text message and says, listen, I'm gonna kill you by the, by the before I go to sleep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see you dead. What happens? He's instantly filled with fear. The courage is instantly taken from him and he just wants to give uh, 1 Kings 19, look at, what, look at what happens. He goes into the wilderness. Go back to, to verse 4. Do we have verse 4? There we go. He went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. This is discouragement. This was Pastor John after the game. No, I'm just kidding. I've had enough. I'm done with it. I'm not watching another game. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Go ahead and go to, go to verse five. Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was Chipotle on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Listen, when you are discouraged, don't underestimate the power of a nap and a snack. <laughs> Scripture, God's word. He was discouraged, so he slept and he ate, and then he went back to sleep again. If you're discouraged, just take a nap. Everything will be, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, what is the principle here? The principle is this, slow down and allow yourself to be refreshed. If you're feeling discouraged, slow down, rest, find some time of refreshing. How do I refresh myself? Refresh yourself in his word. Refresh, refresh yourself in his presence. Refresh yourself in community. Find people around you that can encourage you and, and pour into you. And when you feel like giving up and you feel like quitting, they're going to, to pick you up and encourage you to move on. You're Aaron and hers that as Moses, when his arms began to fall, they came alongside and, and held his arms up that they might see the victory and achieve the victory. Who are the people alongside you that are bringing encouragement in those times of discouragement? While we're here, listen, don't make big decisions when you're discouraged. Elijah is discouraged. And what does he ask for? God, just take my life. Jonah gets discouraged. And what does he ask for? God, I just want to die right now. The Israelites, after the spies came back from the promised land, they're discouraged. And what do they ask? Can we just go back to slavery? Every time you're discouraged and you're faced with a big decision, you will always make the wrong decision. Amen. When you're discouraged, don't make big, just slow down. Find refreshing. Slow down, find somebody to encourage you. Slow down and go back to God's word. The enemy will always seek to discourage. The, the fourth one, let's look at the, the fourth one. We've talked about doubt, we've, we've talked about deception, we've talked about discouragement. Now we look at division. Oh, and this one, like, it just brings a bad taste to my mouth. Everything that the enemy does is with the intent of bringing division. Division between the believer and God, 
division between believers, division within the, the family of God. Everything he does is with the intent of dividing. He divided heaven when he was thrown out. He, he sows division and discord everywhere that he goes. And Jesus, one of the last things that he did was he prayed against that. He prayed for it. Did you know that Jesus, while Jesus was walking on the earth, did you know that Jesus prayed for you? He prayed for you. He prayed for us today. In John 17, Jesus said, he's praying, he's talking to the Father. He says, I don't just pray for the disciples now, but I pray for, for all those who will one day believe. How many of you believe that Jesus prayed for you? Here was his prayer, John 17. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As I am in you and you are in me, let them be in us so that the world may know that you sent me. Father, help them to, to stay united. Help them to be together with one mind and in one heart, in one spirit, on one mission, with one purpose, one body under you. Let them be one. Why? Because the enemy would seek nothing more than to bring division. It's what he does. You need to understand News doesn't create division. CNN or Fox News don't create division. Political parties are not the authors of division. The enemy of your soul is the source of division. It is just being manifest in our world in different ways. But you need to understand that it's not a political thing and it's not a it's not, it's not a medical thing, and it's not whether you, you, you want to be vaccinated or not vaccinated or wear a mask or not wear a mask. It's not about any of those things. It, it's, it's, it's good and evil. It's, it's the, the enemy of this world and the enemy of your soul sowing division. Why? Because if he can get us divided, then we begin fighting one another. And if we begin fighting one another, then we stop fighting him, and he can do whatever he wants. Division is so harmful because it, it pits believer against believer fighting about peripheral things when the most important thing is not being accomplished. It keeps us from our mandate of making disciples and spreading the good news of his, of his love and his mercy to the world around us that needs us. And, and we're too busy. Oh, I'm just, I'm just, people have to know the truth. What truth? The truth of your political party? Or the truth of God's word. Which truth are you trying to convince people of? We've got so many Christians that are so consumed with, if I could just get them to believe what I believe medically. If I could get them to believe what I believe politically. If I could get them to believe what I believe socially. If I could get them to believe what I believe in all of these other areas. Listen, I don't care about converting people to a political party. I don't care about influencing people's medical choices. What I do is I care about influencing their eternity because that's the mandate that God has given me. Amen. When I stand before God, listen, when I stand before God, when I stand before God, he's not going to ask me how many people did you get to convert to your political party? He's not going to ask me how many people did you convince to take or not take? How many people did you convince of social issues or things going on? How many? No, that's not what he's going to ask me. My mandate as your pastor is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. He's going to ask me, how did you use your time to equip the sheep that I entrusted to you? Amen. How many people did you win for the kingdom of God? Not for the kingdom of this party or that party. 
That's the only thing that I'm going to be accountable for. And that's the only thing that I care about. And so for those of you that are like waiting for me to take a political stand or or say this, you're never going to hear that. Now I will speak truth and what the Bible says about particular issues and things here and there. But but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get up here and trying to convince you right or left, progressive or, or, or conservative or this or that. Like those are systems of this world. And if we get so divided and distracted on those things, then we lose focus of the main thing. He seeks to bring division everywhere we go. And, and here's the crazy thing is that we want to blame all these other things on the devil, right? We get a flat tire, that's the devil. No, you just didn't check your tire pressure. You drove over a nail. We get sick, that's the the devil. Devil's working in my body. Now, yes, the Bible does mention the spirit of infirmity, but it also mentions gluttony. Leave that there. You don't take care of yourself physically, guess what happens? You get sick. You be, a, you be a poor steward. Guess what happens? You get sick. We, we blame all of these things. The devil's attacking my finances. No, you just didn't have a budget. The devil's attacking me here. No, you just let down your guard. We give, the, we, give, we give the devil credit for so many things that he has nothing to do with and then get mad at him. It's that stinking devil. Look at what the devil's doing. That's not the devil. But what's crazy is not only do we give him credit for the things that he has nothing to do with, but the very thing that we know he's the source of, we just let him off the hook for. The devil's not making you sick. The devil's not not in the engine of your car. The devil is not doing these things, so stop blaming him and giving him credit for those things, but instead recognize how he's actually affecting your life and start calling him out for that and fighting him against that. Division is from the enemy. And here's what I want you to know. If you are saying, doing, posting things that create division within this house that are not related to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that God sent his son to die on a cross so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to the heart of the father. If you're posting things peripherally that are creating division within the body of Christ, you are actively being used as a tool of the enemy. So now not only are we giving him credit for things that he didn't do, but we are actively participating in the things that he's actually doing. As the body of Christ, we are active participants in the tactics of the enemy. And when we read Ephesians 6, you are to stand firm. Oh, we're standing firm. We're just trying to decide which side we want to stand on. But I'm standing firm in my opinion. I'm standing firm in my views. I'm standing division. Stop it. I love you. I love you. Stop it. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Look at what Paul writes, Philippians chapter two. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? How many of you are happy you belong to Christ? Okay, encouraged by that? That's awesome. Is there any comfort from his love? You ever been comforted by his love? Perfect, awesome, we're on the same team. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are you grateful that we can gather together in his name and his spirit is here working among us? Awesome, sweet. 
Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Same as first service, right? Like how many of you are happy to be saved? Yes. How many of you are grateful for his spirit? Yeah. How many of you are tender and compassionate? <laughs> Same way. It's okay. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Look at what he goes on to say. Then make me truly happy, said every pastor ever. Make me, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. You want to make, you make your pastor happy? Stop fighting each other on Facebook. <laughs> you want to make, make your pastor happy? Find what joins us together, and that's what Paul's doing. Is there no fellowship in the Spirit? Are we, not, are we not comforted by his joy? Is there nothing to be encouraged by, by the fact that we're in Christ? Sweet, then let's agree on those things. Let's agree wholeheartedly. He continues. He says, let's work together with one mind and one purpose. Let's move forward as one, seeking one thing, and that's the mandate to make disciples of Jesus Christ, spreading the good news of his gospel everywhere that we go. If we could just let the peripheral stuff be the peripheral, and it's not saying that we, we can't disagree on those things. It's not saying that we can't talk about those things, but what it is saying is when it comes to the end of the day, let us agree wholeheartedly on the things that unite us. Can we do that? Can you make your pastor truly happy? Do you see this gray hair that's coming in more and more by the week? By the end of the year, I'm going to look like my dad up here. Make, make me happy. But the, the, the enemy is the source of all division. Fine. Number five, we got to move on. Distraction. Distraction. He brings doubt. How do we counteract doubt? We go to... We go to God's word. God, what do you say? He brings deception. We have to know God's character. God, what is, what is your heart? He brings discouragement. What do we do? We slow down and find, find refreshing in him and in others. We, we counteract division by what? Celebrating what unites us. Celebrating the, the things that bind us together. And then the last thing that he, he uses is distraction. First Peter chapter 5 says, stay alert. Be on guard. Watch out. For your enemy, he, he prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, there are so many things in this life that can distract. There are so many things that he would use to distract. Some of them are inherently evil things. Most of them aren't. Most of the things that distract us are good things. They're just not the best thing. They're good things. They're just not the most important thing. They're good things. They're just not the thing that we need to be focusing on right now. There are things in this world that will catch your eye and catch your attention. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves pursuing the things of this world more than we pursue the things of God. There are longings in our heart for, for the material things and, and, and the, the recognition and the, 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 the longings that this world is pulling from inside of us. Or we can say, God, I just want to know you more. God, I just, want to, I just want to grow closer to you. What are you longing for? What do you find yourself giving your energy and your attention to? If it's the things of this world, then you need to change that because you're distracted. 1 John chapter 2 says, love not the world or the things in the world because anybody that has love for the world does not have the love of the Father in them. We can't look to the things of the world and say, mm, I want that, I'm going to go after that, I'm going to chase that. No, I have to chase God before I chase anything else. 
We're distracted by so many things. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own ways. How does a sheep go astray? Why would a sheep go astray? Have you ever thought that? Like the sheep is being led by the shepherd. The shepherd protects the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. He watches out for the sheep. He leads the sheep into these pastures. He provides for the sheep. Why would a sheep just like, you know what? I'm going to go do my own thing, Mr. Shepherd. Like, this is this stupid. And sheep don't do that. Do you know how sheep get, get to the point where they go their own way? Because they're with a group of sheep, and they're all eating together. And then this sheep says, hmm, look at that grass over there. That looks good. And then he eats over here. And then he says, look at that grass over there. That looks good. And then he eats over here. And he starts eating in this direction and he's looking for things and he's, he, he's got blinders on to where, to where now he's just wandering around looking for, for grass to eat and looking for stuff over here until finally one day he wakes up and it's like Kevin and home alone. Like, where did everybody go? Like, what happened? Like, fellas, Mr. Shepherd. Where are you? And now he's alone and now he's vulnerable. Why? It's not because he made a conscious choice to walk away from the shepherd. It's not because he was like, you know what? I don't like this shepherd. And, and, and he says things that kind of get on my heart, my, my, my nerves. And he, he's a little bit too harsh with that, with that rod. And so I'm going to go be with this shepherd because this shepherd treats me the way that I think I should be treated. And this shepherd is going to lead me into pastures that I like. He only wants me to eat fescue and I don't like fescue. I want Kentucky bluegrass. And so I'm going to go be with this. That's not the, that's not the thought process of a sheep. The sheep doesn't consciously leave his shepherd. The sheep gets distracted. And slowly, by slowly, little by little, he finds himself in a vulnerable position. Why? Because I did not remain focused on the voice of the shepherd. Instead, I put my mind and my eyes onto the things that I wanted and the grass looked a little bit greener over there. Did you know the grass isn't greener on the other side? Amen. You're just too far away to see the dirt. From far away, you can't see the dirt. You can just see the grass. And it's like, oh, look how green that is. You get over there. You see how dirty it is. It's not greener. It's greener where you water it. God, may I not get distracted. Man, not get enticed, man, not get dragged away by my desires or anything that this world has to offer. But instead, God, let my mind be stayed and fixed on you. God, may I be able to recognize, Holy Spirit, would you be, would you be so at work in my life that I might have the discernment to recognize when questions come up, is this question from the enemy? Is this question from me? Is this question from you? What is the intent of this question? Is it to produce doubt? If it's to produce doubt, God, may I take it back to your word? What do you have to say? God, when the, the enemy would seek to distort and, and, and conceal the truth, may I go to your character who I know you to be. God, when discouragement comes, I pray that even as you said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. God, that I would find strength and courage knowing who my God is and that you're fighting on my behalf. God, may I not be an active tool of the enemy sowing division and discord, but God, may I 
instead celebrate the unity that is found in the body of believers. God, may I not get distracted. May I stay focused on you. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you have, have called us and equipped us for this battle, but that you have not left us alone, undefended, vulnerable, or weak, but God, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. You've called us to participate in this battle, to, to be alert, to be on guard, to recognize the, the enemy, but also to understand and recognize the, the tactics and the methods that the enemy would seek to use. God, I pray that today, anybody who's here, maybe there's questions of doubt and they've been, they've been asking themselves and trying to rationalize and maybe, maybe looking for answers in in the world or in their own understanding. God, I pray today for anybody that is experiencing doubt that they would go to your word and say, God, what do you have to say? Holy Spirit, would you lead them into all truth? Lord, for those that, that have been deceived, for those that perceive light, think it's light, but really it's darkness. For those that that have taken your word out of context or the enemy or, or friends or somebody has used your word out of context to bring deception. Lord, I pray that, that your character would show them your heart and your truth. God, for those that are discouraged, I pray, God, that you would fill them with strength. I pray that you would fill them with courage. God, the heart of a warrior to rise up inside of them. God, I, I come against the spirit of division in this house and in the church across this country. God, I come against the, the attack and the attempt of the enemy to sow discord, to pit believer against believer. But God, instead today, we, we are encouraged by our relationship with Christ. We find joy through your spirit. We are encouraged in community with one another, with fellowship. God, we thank you that we are united in something that is much more powerful than anything that could ever seek to divide. We celebrate that today. God, forgive us for being willful participants in the methods and the strategies of the enemy. God, for those of us that are distracted, May we set our minds and our eyes and our focus on you today. Lord, as we go from this place this week, help us to stand firm, recognizing the battle, not being ignorant of the battle, but being active participants for you in the battle, coming against and standing firm against every attack of the enemy, we pray. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Listen, this morning, if you're here, our prayer team is down here. Maybe. Maybe you have those, those thoughts of doubt. Maybe you're feeling discouraged. Maybe you're distracted. You want somebody to agree with you, pray with you. This is spiritual warfare. We would love to agree with you, to go to war with you and believe God, believe God with you in that as well. So if that's you and you're struggling today, I would just encourage you, step out from where you're at, come down here, find somebody to link arms with you and go to war with you. If not, be blessed, church. Have a great day. Love you guys. See you next week. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things, helping people discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. 
If you enjoyed today's service, we encourage you to check out our past sermon series as well as our discipleship classes. Give us a subscribe, and we hope that we can help you grow no matter where you are.